Thanks be to God. I didn't pick it. I just get to preach it. <laughs> right? And we neither none of us wrote it. Mercy. Um, and we're not even going to talk about all that. <laughs> I know. It's just fun. Um, we should have a little bit of background, though, because a lot of that was crazy town. If you're anything like me, the first time I looked at that, I was going, what is this going to be about? So let's go back a little bit. Creation. Creation part two. The snake and the apple. A murder most foul. A floating zoo. A dispersion of sunlight through water droplets resulting in the complete spectrum of light appearing up high in the sky, most commonly taking the form of a multicolored arc. A huge tower built almost to the heavens until everyone began to babble about. Any of this ring a bell? Yes, all of this transpired and took place through a host of generations, which if you're interested can be found in Genesis chapters 4, 5, 10, and 11. Son of, son of, going on, etc., etc. Twenty generations of people from Adam to Abram. Depending on who's working the calculator, this could span some 2,000 to 9,000 years. Remember, this is the early times when people lived for almost a full millennium. You remember Methuselah, all 969 years of him. Needless to say, things have been rough for a while here. Uh, it started out a little rocky between God and humanity. Um, there was the apple, and now after God has had some time to cool off after flooding the entire world, um, he shows up to have a chat with our good friend Abram, later known as Abraham, who you may hear me confuse the two today. But here at the beginning, their relationship is still new. There's still a good degree of formality. Um, God is not ready to hand out any nicknames just yet. But as I was reading through the relationship here between God and Abram, and looking back a little bit, I was really struck and found myself smiling at one of the consistencies found throughout God's Word. I know you're going to get this too, but I kid you not, the first thing, the first thing that God says to Abram, chapter 12, go. The first thing. Here we are, thousands of years since the dawn of creation, ten generations since the flood. God reaches out to a willing servant, and the first thing he has to say is, go. Throughout this whole Dreamcatcher series, as we've been analyzing and interpreting these visions and these dreams, there is one clear picture emerging, and that is one of a God who very clearly does not intend for us to be a sedentary people. God calling to Samuel, get up, come here. Ananias, you go help Saul. I got big plans for that guy. Jacob, you got work to do. I will be with you wherever you go. Peter, go tell the Gentiles they're saved. P.S. Bacon is delicious. Solomon, here's all that wisdom you've been asking for. Now go use it. Do something. 
I have yet to find an example of God saying, "Mm, I'm going to let someone else handle that. You stay home and watch TV. But back to Abram, Abe. God says, go. Go from your country and your kindred and your father's house to the land that I will show you. I will make of you a great nation. I will bless you and make your name great so that you will be a blessing. I will bless those who bless you, curse those who curse you. And in you, all the families of the earth shall be blessed. Take your nephew Lot. We'll check back in in a little while. So Abram went, as the Lord had told him, and they walked over through Canaan, which is pretty much all of Israel, or what we know of it today. God's walking through there with Abram. They're all they're hanging out, they're chatting, they're having a good time. God's like, oh, check this out. There's trees and a river, and oh, isn't this nice? Abram's like, yeah, it is nice. God says, I'm going to give it to your grandkids. Keep moving. So they keep moving. Abram's building altars every time he sees something he likes. Wound up down in Egypt due to some famine going on. They had fun down there as well. God sent some plagues. Abram pretended his sister, his wife was his sister to keep from getting killed because apparently uh, Sarah was very good looking. Uh, didn't want to mess with that. Uh, Pharaoh didn't like it, but all in all, they came out ahead. Silver, gold, livestock. Abram was doing well. Lot also was doing well. He set off on his own way. But here's where we really get going. Some wars broke out during this time, as I guess they were ought to do. Women, treasures, and other goods were taken from the kingdoms of Sodom and Gomorrah. And in the midst of all that war, Abram's nephew Lot was captured. Word got back to Abram that Lot had been captured, so Abram saddled up his posse and off they went. All the while, God is watching. He is sizing Abram up. God is watching as Abram not only rescues Lot, but also rescues the captured women and men of Sodom. God is watching as Abram turns down his reward of all of that reclaimed treasure. God is watching as Abram gives up all of these additional earthly goods and instead glorifies God. Names God as his primary source of wealth and ultimate source of life. And it is here that we finally arrive at our reading for today. God has taken measure of Abram and is now ready to get into a pretty serious DTR. Who knows what a DTR is? There we go. All right. DTR is define the relationship. If you've ever been dating, you had one of these conversations with somebody like, let's really talk about what we're doing here. Let's define the relationship. So at the beginning of chapter 15, God appears to Abram in a vision. Now remember, the glory of God is this overwhelming and outstanding thing to behold. Much like we'll hear in a few weeks from the angels to the shepherds, so too does God now say to Abram, do not be afraid. Do not be afraid, Abram. I am your shield. Your reward shall be great. To which Abram replies, and I paraphrase, Well, gee, thanks, God. That's great and all. You've been laying down a lot of promises over these last few years about my kids and my grandkids, but I'll level with you. The baby situation is a little lacking. So God pulls Abram outside, says, Look towards heaven. 
Count the stars if you're able to count them. So shall your descendants be. To me, this speaks of their developing relationship. God appearing to say, I'm here. This war stuff is over. Your family is safe. You're going to be okay. And Abram feels comfortable enough to question that. God, the ever-loving Father, reassures him. And Abram, because he now knows God better, trusts God and is assured. It's an example of a faith that we should all aspire to have with our Creator. And here in this very touching and great moment, I just picture that freeze frame, the credits are rolling, sound of applause like an 80s sitcom moment. And then just as quickly, it's as if someone sat on the remote. Our screen is awash with lights and pictures that we don't understand like a Japanese game show uh, where we just don't know what's going on. What's happening? Why is this all this happening? Why are there animals coming out? What is Abram doing with those animals? This is weird. If you're following in your Bibles, we're at verse 7 in chapter 15. God gives some instructions. God says, I brought you all the way out of Ur of Chaldeans, which is modern-day Iraq, to give you all of this land, Israel. Abram, again, is comfortable enough to question the word of God. Remember, God very clearly said, do not be afraid. So here, Abram is not afraid. Abram questions God. And Abram says, how do I know? You've said it. But how do I know? So God tells Abram to prepare for a sacrifice. And as weird as all of it sounds, there is great meaning and significance to this ritual. Some of what we heard uh, Al explain to the children this morning. God calls forth animals that are three years old. These would be fully grown, mature, strong animals because God deserves our best. We do not read that God gave Abram particular directions on how to manage these beasts, but we can assume that Abram was well-versed in the laws and customs of sacrifices, that he either didn't need any particular directions, or perhaps they were given and just not recorded. Either way, the animals were cut into, laying each half over against the other. And then Abram waited. God is God and works well within his own time frame. But we know that Abram waited long enough for birds of prey to show up. It was even enough to note that Abram had to actively drive the birds away from his sacrifice. Abram trusted that something would come from all of this work, that God had not asked this of him for naught. And Abram knew that a very watchful eye must be kept upon these spiritual sacrifices. Abram knew that nothing should be allowed to prey upon them and render them unfit for God's acceptance. And then as the sun was going down, there among the mess of these divided animals, Abram fell into a deep sleep. And a deep and terrifying darkness fell upon him. Abram had most likely been working all day uh, preparing the sacrifice. I don't know if anyone else has cut a cow in half. Uh, it's going to take up most of your morning. <laughs> but this sleep that fell on him, 
This was not a sleep of exhaustion. Abram was attending to what he was assured would be a holy moment of revelation. And this sleep, this deep sleep, it was the same sleep that God had put upon Adam when he took out one of the ribs. It was a holy and righteous sleep. And now in contrast to what took place earlier, there is a drastic change of mood. No longer one of camaraderie and comfort, but now a deep and terrifying darkness. As we well know, the path that God sets before us is not always filled with rainbows and candy. There are often difficult mountains to climb, moments filled with great danger, sadness, and fear. God has designed this moment for Abram to be one of great importance. And although our God is the God of compassion, kindness, and mercy, He is also the God of great power and great awe. The God of creation and sovereign Lord over all that is, was, and will be. So this is a big deal moment. God then lays out the plan for Abram and his descendants. And that plan, again, is not one of comfort and ease, but one of very real pain and 400 years of slavery at the hands of the Egyptians before Moses can bring them back out to the promised land. And then with the movement of the smoking pot and the flaming torch, the sacrifice most likely consumed, the covenant was made. And Abram had his assurance that God would fulfill his promises. Now, as Al told you earlier, and I'm sure most of you have seen, this is Commitment Sunday. Each of you as individuals or as a family unit have received a card in your bulletin that allows you to respond to God's word this morning um, in a couple different ways. In a few minutes, I will provide some additional instructions and invite you all forward to bring forth your commitment cards, and you will lay them here before the altar of God. Before we do that, however, I'd like to offer a few additional thoughts on our scripture this morning, and I would like for them to be on your mind as you take this into account. Because having now revealed the word of God, we must also seek application, connection, it would be my prayer that we have a firm grasp on what God has done and how that should assure us of what God will continue to do. As we've read and heard this morning, our God has plans. According to Jeremiah, plans for our welfare, not for harm. To give us a future with hope. I will let you find me, says the Lord, and I will restore your fortunes and gather you from all the nations and all the places where I have driven you, says the Lord. And I will bring you back to the place from which I sent you into exile. And so he did. The children of Israel were enslaved by the Egyptians, were set free, and with Moses eventually made their way to the land that God had promised them. But God's covenant with his people did not end there. This was only a partial completion. God had promised much more than just land. God said, I will bless you so that you may be a blessing. And in you, all the families of the earth shall be blessed. Now, we often think of these Old Testament stories as solely the history of the Jewish people. That's a very easy thing to do. 
But my friends, this is our history. This is your history. This is my history. We are the heirs of this covenant. We are the descendants of Abram. All that God promised to him is ours. When God pulled Abram outside to look up to the heavens, God was showing him the future. We are the stars. So now what? As shining beacons of light against the vast blackness of space, how do we live into such an inheritance? How are we blessed? And in us, how are all the families of the earth being blessed? I've given this some thought, and I don't know about you, but I am lacking in any motivation to move to what is now the southern half of modern-day Syria and claim any land that God has promised me. I just don't see that going over too well. Thankfully, it is through my faith in Jesus Christ that I know I have an even better home waiting. You see, it's through that atoning sacrifice of Jesus, the broken body, the shed blood, that I have witnessed a new covenant. It is through my faith in Jesus Christ that I am now called a child of God. And as a child of God and witness to the resurrection, I am assured of even greater things in store. So assured am I that I sing of it often. Perhaps you're familiar with this tune. Blessed assurance, Jesus is mine. Oh, what a foretaste of glory divine. Here's the key verse. Heir of salvation, purchase of God. Born of his spirit, washed in his blood. If you like that one, you probably know that this one as well. This is probably verse 3 or 4 of a different one. The Lord has promised good to me. His word my hope secures. He will my shield and portion be as long as life endures. My point here is this, God's promise of something better, God's promise of blessings for the faithful, these are promises that stretch across all time. Yes, much like Abram's early descendants, the Hebrews, they were held captive, they were made to work and serve the Egyptians before moving into Canaan, so too must we work and serve on this earth before joining Christ and claiming our reward. But we serve under a blessing, not a curse. We serve with eternity in mind, knowing that it just doesn't get any darker or any more terrifying than what took place on the cross. It is because of the cross that we understand God's true intentions and plan. We see his power put on full display, and we are now assured that God will fulfill all of his promises. He will do what he said he would do and has done it. 
with this in our minds and settling into our hearts, let's talk about what we can do with such a blessing. Let's talk about responding to such overwhelming grace and the fulfillment of these covenants. As I said earlier, I do not believe God intends for us to be a sedentary people. And if I may be so bold, I would like to commend you, the body of First United Methodist Church, on your mobile, ambulatory, and itinerant nature. In other words, y'all like to move, and that's a good thing. I have seen the Spirit work in you as you have moved through Appalachia, across oceans to Lithuania and Haiti. I have seen you move across the street to Lee Park, and openly engage with our community through the sharing of food, clothing, and other resources. You have stepped out in faith, assuming a proactive stance by bringing on an associate pastor whose primary focus is outreach and witness. Number one, thank you. Number two, well done. I have seen you bend to the will of the Holy Spirit during moments of worship and prayer. I have heard healing stories from the comfort and peace that is shared through the prayer quilts, and I see a people who support new ministry programs. I see a people who speak with passion about their priorities for the kingdom, who help one another, who care for each other, and who bless each other. God is good, and the work of God's people is good. But until Jesus returns, we must continue honoring these covenants so that in us and through us, all the families of the earth may also be blessed. As we respond to God's word this morning and bring forth our commitment cards, it is my hope and my prayer that we can all check off that first box without too much hesitation to share God's vision through our ongoing prayers, presence, gifts, service, and witness. And then with grateful hearts, consider the responsibility of our roles as heirs of the covenant with one of those next two boxes. I'll close this morning with a few verses of Psalm 37. And then you may come forward with your commitment cards. You may place them in the basket. Um, and then as the Spirit leads, you may return to your seats we don't really have a kneeling rail at this service, but if you want to stop over here and have a word of prayer, you are invited to do so. So this is Psalm 37, verses 3 to 5. David writes, Trust in the Lord and do good, so you will live in the land and enjoy security. Take delight in the Lord and he will give you the desires of your heart. Commit your way to the Lord. Trust in him, and he will act. Amen.